At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we have an interview with Cubs first base prospect, Matt Mervis, a guy that, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you have probably known about Matt Mervis more than most uh, baseball fans, most Dynasty League members, or whatever it may be, because Mervis came on the podcast back when he was in high A, right in the beginning of what was a ridiculous season for the undrafted free agent in 2020 by the Chicago Cubs. If you're newer to the podcast, then you may have missed that first interview and not listened to the subsequent episodes where I've continued to talk about how this guy can really play, and he is really a legitimate prospect, top 100 guy uh, on our Just Baseball Top 100 prospect list, and also just a really good dude, as you'll see from the interview. No shortage of confidence, which is a big reason why he was able to have the success that he had as an undrafted guy. And I do think undrafted free agent is a mischaracterization to a degree uh, when it's a 2020 guy. Remember, that draft was cut to five rounds, and Mervis would have definitely been selected even if the draft was 10 rounds and had his pick of the litter, basically, uh, with a bunch of different big league teams after the draft concluded and ultimately chose the Cubs because he felt like it was one of the best situations for him. It seems like that decision has gone really well for him and he has really made himself a a big part of the Cubs plans moving forward. Jed Hoyer uh, said that recently and even though the Cubs are going to survey the free agent market, it's pretty clear that Matt Mervis is a part of their plans for 2023. Hopefully, he is a part of their opening day plans, uh, and I think he should be. We'll see how they decide to handle that. Just real quick before we go into it, for those who may not be as familiar with what Matt Mervis did this year, between high A, double A, and triple A, Mervis slashed 309 379 605, which is ridiculous, only an 18% K rate, 9% walk rate, and most impressively, 36 home runs, and also had 78 extra base hits. Uh, That's a pretty darn good season, and he is building off of that. He also had a really good stretch in the Arizona Fall League, and now he's kind of getting some much-needed rest, working out, and getting ready to go, and he talks about all of that in this interview. A reminder also to check out our YouTube live stream, which should be out uh, probably by the time you're listening to this. Uh, If it is, I'll have it linked in the podcast description. If not, go check out the YouTube page that we just made for the Call Up podcast. We're going to separate that from the Just Basic 
baseball show. I'm really excited about that because there's going to be a lot more unique prospect content there, like the live hitting breakdown that I'm going to do with Matt you know, right after I put this episode out. So very excited for you guys to check that out. Also, an interview with Pete Crow Armstrong on Friday to keep this Cubs week going here at Just Baseball in the Call-Up. Very excited to talk to Pete Crow Armstrong, as well as do the live hitting breakdown with him as well, which will be on our Call-Up YouTube page as well. I will just embed the YouTube link to our channel in the podcast description so you can go subscribe and then definitely keep your eyes out for both of those hitting breakdowns and both of those interviews for the, the video version as well on our new YouTube channel. Without further delay, here is the interview with Cubs first base prospect, Matt Mervis. And he's back. It's Matt Mervis of the Chicago Cubs first base prospect to, uh, I guess since the last time we talked, Matt, you, you hit 29 homers and that's not including the Arizona fall league. And you went to double triple and did really well in triple. So congratulations on an unbelievably amazing year. Um, it feels like I talked to you like four years ago on the podcast last time we were we were doing this. So really cool to talk to you now after this insane, insane year you just had. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be back on the podcast. I mean, the first time we did this that night, I got called up to double A. So I think there's some some good luck involved here. Uh, I got my shirt on. So I'm appreciative of you guys and what you do. So I'm happy to be back on here. Thank you so much, dude. Well, so for those on YouTube, uh, they could see the the long sleeve athletic just baseball tee, which, by the way, is we, we've got a we've got a Cyber Monday deal going until Wednesday on that. Uh, but Matt Matt did not have to pay for the Cyber Monday deal. It's friends friends and family discount there, but uh, looks great on you, and it is available. Link is in the the description. Thank you for wearing that. By the way, that was a great surprise. I didn't know if Absolutely. you got it yet or not. But no, thanks for sending it to I'm me. I'm always worried about you monsters, great. you monsters that like <laughs> may not even fit the XL. And I'm like, is this going to work? But those run a little big, fit you pretty good. Yeah, I'm typically a double X and this fits great. It's a nice material. I'm going to work out in it. So. I, was, I was nervous with you. I can't lie. I was like, this guy's not going to fit in our <laughs> stuff. But okay, this has been a whirlwind of a year for you, as I know. I mean, like, you know, this is the funny thing is I've talked to you. I don't even know how many times between these two episodes, but you know, for, for people listening, like the last time we spoke, you were, you were doing great things, but it was high a, you were, you know, a, a college guy. Everything was kind of taken with a grain of salt and understandably. So you, you knew what you were capable of, you knew what you were doing, but you had to do it in double and triple a until people were going to really start buying what you were selling. Um, I tried to sell it to people on the podcast and I can't tell you how many people, by the way, have thanked me for helping them in their dynasty league. Cause they scooped you up before anybody else. But like, you know, I, I could understand needing to see it in double and triple, but once you did it in double and triple, things really started to, to, I would just say happen for you in terms of just like, you went from the guy that didn't have a fan graphs page. Cause I remember trying to find your fan graph stats when you were in low a and, and you didn't even have a fan graphs page to, you know, now marquee is running stories on you. The Chicago tribune, uh, you're getting interview requests left and right. I mean, people are, are bothering you all the time. Uh, you handle it really well, but I mean, it, you went from, you know, just kind of unsung guy to really just being bothered 24 seven, which is a beautiful thing. But how has that whirlwind been for you? Because again, last time we talked to I me, mean, you had no idea. I don't think what was ahead of you uh, in terms of just all of the media scrum and all of those things. Yeah, I didn't. Um, it's been a 
crazy seven months, I guess, since I started getting recognition. Um, and you were the first to, you know, have me on a podcast and talk to me and kind of put my name out there. But since then it's been like, I mean, I had, I had some in double a, and then, like you said, once I got to triple a and, and started hitting well there and, and holding my own, then, I mean, it's been, it, it probably could have been three times a week if I wanted it to be, um, hopping on a podcast or doing an interview or, or some sort of media, um, appearance, but it, yeah, it's, it's been strange. I mean, I, I came into the year and like you said, I was 24 in high A. Not a lot of expectations, I think, from the media. And um, since then, it's just been kind of just like a straight up ride to where I am now. So it's been a lot of fun. I've had to learn how to balance. Um, you know, I don't want to do a million interviews and then not have anybody to talk to after that, or I don't want to put people off to the point where I'm being disrespectful. So um, it's kind of finding a balance between how many people I want to talk to and how often I want to talk to them. And just, I mean, it's fun. I, I appreciate everybody that wants to talk to me. So it, it's a weird mix of emotions and time management. Yeah. And we're going to get into the baseball side of things, but that's something I really wanted to, to kind of, cause it ties in of course. And, of course, you know, you're somebody that I can already tell and, and just knowing you, you know, for, for a few years now, just somebody that, you know, you're, you're going to want to give everybody time and, and, and do the interviews and you're a great guy. But at the same time, like, you're a human being, right? You only have so many hours in the day and so much brain power that can be allocated to people like me talking your ear off and trying to get you to talk and trying to get you to, to, to do stuff. And um, how did you manage that overwhelming, you know, eyeballs on you all of a sudden because that, that, that's a different side of it too right I feel like for a lot of people it's it's a little bit easier to, to hit when no one's paying attention to you and there's no pressure and there's no expectations um, you get these expectations with expectations for most people comes pressure you seem to always rise to the occasion and, and whether that's just the pressure from just feeling like there's eyeballs on you when you're leaving the stadium or on social media or you know just realizing holy crap you know the GM is talking about me right now, which, which happened recently. Like how did you continue to produce and not let those pressures and those external factors seep into what you were doing on the baseball field? Because ironically, as the pressure seemed to get higher or at least what it would seem like would be pressure, you seem to get better. I care more about how I do than anyone else does. So uh, my expectations are, more than what the fans could put on me or the front office or teammates or anything. So, um, no, I get into the batter's box every day expecting to get a hit and expecting to hit a ball hard. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen, obviously, and it leads to frustration, which is where I need to handle that better. But um, the the expectations of performing and getting hits and hitting home runs and helping us win, it's – I mean – I have all that internally. I don't really hear any of it from, from the outside world just because I, I'm plenty motivated myself to, to make that happen. And, and I mean, we saw that. And that's the amazing thing is you, you start in high A, 350, 389, 650 slash line, which is spectacular in 27 games. But 
Oh, what stands out the most is you were only walking at a 4.6% clip. You're striking out at a 24% clip. So a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, how is he going to translate it to double A? Because traditionally speaking, guys with those kinds of numbers would probably see the strikeout rate jump up in double. But that wasn't the case for you at all. You double your walk rate and you cut the strikeout rate by 4% in double A while maintaining the same production. Okay, well, double A is tougher. This is impressive. We're, we're definitely considering it now. Um, but I'm going to need to see a little bit more. Can you do it against triple A pitching where those are going to be way more advanced guys? Well, yes, your strikeout rate drops to 14% and you walk at a 10% clip. So your walk rate steadily increases as you rise levels. Your strikeout rate decreases as you rise levels. It's counterintuitive. It, it, it doesn't make sense if people were considering you to be the hitter that you were in high A. But the reality was, is the hitter that you were in high A was just the tip of the iceberg of the hitter that you became as the year went on. How were you able to become that hitter as you were forced to, you know, get accommodated or acclimated to huge jumps, double and then triple? I think I've always been a better hitter against better pitching, um, which is weird to say, but even going back to college, my junior year, I think I had much better stats in the ACC against higher level arms than I did in, say, midweek or out of conference games. Um, and I don't know if it's a mental thing where I, I focus more, or, um, or I really I don't I don't know what it is, but I think the one thing I focused on this year was um, better pitch selection as I moved up. So in high A, I, I thought I could hit everything. So I swung at everything. Yeah. Um, and I did for the most part, but I also struck out 25% of the time, like you said. So um, as I moved up, I knew I would have to shrink the zone a little bit just because I had a, a taste of AAA in 21, just filling in at the end of the year when, when I think we had some injuries or COVID issues or whatever it was. Um, and so I got up there for four games, like 10 at-bats, whatever it was. And I, mean, I remember thinking, like, wow, the umpires up here are, like, really good. Like, yeah. I, I, I think I swung at a change up a ball or half a ball off the plate or something like that, and I fouled it off in a two-strike count, and I immediately asked the umpire, did you have it there? And he goes, no. There was no explanation. He didn't say how far off. He just said, no, it's not a strike. So I kind of took that with me when I got back up to triple. I was like, these guys are going to make good calls. I don't have to swing at those pitches. Um and that made my eye better throughout the year. Just kind of, I see that pitch once and I go, okay, that's a ball. He's going to call it a ball whenever it's thrown there. So I don't have to swing at it. So I can kind of shrink the strike zone, shrink what I'm looking at. Uh, and it led to less chase. How, how much different is it, you know, umpires wise? I, I wish there was a way to like uh, almost be able to like contextualize. I don't want you to like rip low, like high A and double A umpires, but uh how much better are they? Because I want to say that I have looked through the numbers in the one area where I do see, I, I see the high A to double A jump where guys typically the strikeout rate just rises. You will see the occasional double A to triple A strikeout rate drop. That's a little bit more common for this exact reason that you just said, how much better are these umpires? I mean, you, you gave some, some anecdotal evidence. I think that, that really does help, uh, you know, understand that, but is it a lot better or is it kind of just uh, depends on the guy? Across the board, they're a lot better. Uh, <laughs> That's good to hear. I, I, there, for me, there wasn't that big of a difference between high A and double A in terms of. Interesting. You know, I mean, you square the catcher up, you get rewarded a yeah. lot of the time. And, yeah. and those two levels, um, 
in AAA, most of the guys were better about, you know, calling the ball, like the pitch, a ball or a strike rather than how the, the catcher caught it. So yeah. um, there were a few that still got fooled once in a while, but that happens and it happens in the big leagues too. So yeah. um, it definitely, there was a big difference and it, it definitely made my job a little bit easier just trusting that I wouldn't get punched out on a, you know, a slider down or a change up a ball off or something like that. So you have this year and then you go to the Arizona fall league where, you know, I I know you were, you were definitely feeling the length of the season as any human being would, because you had never played what more than 70 something games in a year. What what do you think the maximum was? Maybe, maybe a hundred, if you added the Cape in, I think probably last year was the most I'd ever played. Um, and even then, I only got 300-something plate appearances. And and what did you think you got this year? Like six-something? I, I think I got the 650 in the fall league. So, I mean, this is – on one side of the coin, it, it's great because the expectation is you're in the big leagues early next year and, and you've got a whole marathon to run. So, you know, now you have a little bit of that uh, – a little bit of that understanding of what your body's going to go through. Um Fortunately, knock on wood, you, you stayed healthy and, and you stayed on the field all the way through. What, what were some of the biggest physical challenges? Like, what did you feel as you started to get towards the end of the season? And then you started to get towards the Arizona Fall League where you hit it. You hit there as well. I think over a 900 OPS. Uh, I mean, that wasn't wasn't really surprising. If you're going to hit in double and triple, you're going to hit in the freaking Arizona Fall League. But y- you were definitely feeling it physically when I saw you out there. You're like, man, like it's it's it, the one thing he said. I, I hope it's OK if I mentioned this, but it, it made me laugh is you got a day off and you're like, I got a day off and. I woke up the next day and I still felt tired and crappy. Like that kind of yeah. put, it, put it perfectly. Um, it's a marathon, man. And everyone says the same thing. I talked to 20 guys that all said the same thing at the end of the year. What did you really feel body wise at the end? And, and how did you kind of push through it? Cause you still raked. It was just recovery wasn't happening. Um, like you said, I, I sat a day and, and just from sitting on the bench for three, four hours, my legs locked up. My hips felt terrible the next day. Um, and I just wasn't like during the season, I, I didn't do a ton of recovery work. Um, just cause I didn't have to, I would play a game and I would wake up the next day and feel fine. And I could do my little routine when I got to the field to, to loosen up. Um, and I'd be good to go. And then probably with two or three weeks left in the triple A season, my body started not recovering as well. Um, I tried cutting back on lifting, which I'm not sure was the right decision. I was going about uh, twice a week for almost the entire year. And I think I went to one lift a week with about three weeks left. And I think that that might have contributed to not recovering, whereas I thought I would recover better by not doing that. Um, But, yeah, just just my lower body, hips and knees mostly, um, would just be sore, locked up a little bit in the morning when I woke up and would have to do a little bit extra pregame to loosen them up and then start doing some some contrast baths, some hot tub, cold tub after games, some uh, like the, the Normatec leg sleeves to try to increase blood flow, stuff like that to try to loosen them back up. How'd you keep hitting though? Is it, you know, you had those days where maybe you didn't recover the, the way you wanted to um, as, as all players do, you know, you hear so many stories of major leaguers, you know, the day they were sick or just felt horrible and end up having a great game, but you know, you did it all year. And, and that's the thing that really stands out to me, right. Is, is, is what you did over the course of the entire season consistently. Uh, what would you attribute that 
consistency to um, with all of the variables, whether it's the level you're playing, the pitchers you're facing. You get to AAA, too. It was so weird. I'd check the box score, and like you're facing, like, we're going to go through the, some of the video. You're facing, like, Jarrell Cotton. I'm like, dude, I watched that guy pitch like, for the last, like, 10 years at the big league level, and, and you're hitting homers off of Jarrell Cotton. Like, it, it is a lot of variables around you. How did you remain so consistent? I think it goes back to my expectations. Um, I don't care if I'm facing a guy that throws 87 in high A or a guy that throws 97 in triple A. I expect to put the barrel on the ball. Um, that's what I train to do all off season. Um, I talked to, to Darius Hill a bunch about this. Nobody trains to walk in the off season. We, I mean, we want to hit, we work on our swings. Uh, you know, the goal is to hit and to hit the ball hard. So I don't care who I'm facing. Um, I mean, the best pitcher I've ever faced is a, a tall hack attack. I mean, nobody squares that thing up. So if you're a person that I can time up with my swing and and see the ball better off of, out of your hand than off that machine, then I expect to hit the ball hard off you. So um, it's just uh, mentally I, I get in the box expecting that to happen and, and making it happen. So, um, yeah, I think it just goes back to that. Do you think you have to have that kind of confidence to, to play professional baseball, right? Like, you know, to, to, to someone who maybe doesn't follow the sport, you know, they, they may not understand that like you, you, that's the attitude that a lot of the best hitters have. I don't know if every, you know, successful major leaguer thinks that way when they get in the box, I haven't had the privilege to speak to every single one of them, but it, it's such a difficult game. Do you feel like you have to have that mentality to succeed? And at what point did you fully adopt that mentality? Yeah, confidence is, is huge for me and I think for probably every hitter. But I think guys show it or, or have confidence in themselves in different ways. Like, like I just said for myself, I, I get in the box expecting to hit the ball hard. Some guys um, you know, maybe rely on their – finding their feel before the game to have confidence or rely on recent results to have confidence, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think confidence is huge, especially when you're facing the best pitchers in the world. Um, if you're going into the batter's box, doubting yourself or, or not really convicted with a plan, then um, I think you're probably in trouble. And when did you really start to feel that way? Like that you could beat everybody you faced? Was that something since you were in high school? Was it something that clicked in college, the Cape, professionally? I've always thought I'm the best hitter in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's obviously it's not true. I mean, there are Mike Trout. I, I've been, I would watch in high school, I'd watch Mike Trout taking that bat. And obviously on TV, hitting looks so easy from that behind the pitcher angle. Everything looks straight. Sliders don't look sharp. So I'd see Trout take a bad swing. I'm like, what's this guy doing? Like, <laughs> I was like the casual fan, just kind of like, like, what are you swinging at? You know, exactly. <laughs> but I would think about myself in the batter's box. I'm like, I would have crushed that pitch. So um, obviously not true in a lot of scenarios, but um I mean, even going back to college, we had Cohen I went in the second round and Jimmy Heron went in the third round. I was like, I'm just as good as these guys. Like, I want to be on the field. I want to prove that I can hit. So it, I've always had that confidence. Um, and then this year, it probably in, it came in phases. So the last week, the last two weeks in high, it was a two week homestand. Um, I, I just hit, I hit really well. That I think the last week there, I, hit like 500 for the week 
And it, by game four or five of that series, I was like, I'm just going to get two hits today. I, I kind of showed up. It went, it was the same thing in Cape Cod. Um, when we were all really hot at the end of the season, it was, yeah. sh- you show up to the field knowing that you're going to get hits. Um, and that just allows you to focus on the pitch instead of trying to work on certain things or hit mechanically or something like that. Like you just know that you're going to hit well. So you just trust it and, and, swing at the right pitch and then double a came a little bit later on. I had a good first week, struggled a little bit the second week. And then I think after that, I, I probably got really confident again. Um, triple a first weekend in triple a hit a home run off a big leaguer. Um, and so I, I kind of, I lost it a little bit. Didn't lose confidence, but lost the feeling of my swing a little bit towards the middle and then actually saw Mike Roberts in, in Indianapolis, which is the week that I didn't feel great. So I was, I was disappointed. I wanted to play well in front of him. But the week after that, I started hitting well again and felt really good in the batter's box. So it came back. And Mike Roberts, for, for those who don't know, probably a big reason why you decided. I mean, there was, there was a lot of variables, but one of the reasons why you ultimately signed with the Cubs, right? It, it, Mike Roberts used to be, uh, you know, part of the, the Cubs organization and I would, I would say an advisor, right? But also your coach in the Cape Cod League, which, uh, you know, Mike, Mike has cooked so many, so many big leaguers. And of course, the, the father of Brian Roberts. Question on, and we will briefly touch on the struggle because there's so much good to talk about, but you talk about this mentality and I just, I couldn't help but wonder, how did you have that attitude or did you feel like that attitude kind of disappeared from you for a little bit when you struggled in 2021 in low A? Like you talk about feeling like you're going to get hits every time you go to the field, feeling like you're, you're, you're one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter on the field, when that wasn't happening for you, um, in, in low A in 2021, how, where were you at, you know, mentally at that point? I was confused is how I would put it. Um, I still knew that I was a really good hitter. I knew that I should be hitting the pitches that I wasn't hitting. So it was like, I kind of couldn't figure out what was going on. I didn't feel good mechanically the whole year. Um, and I, I tinkered way too much. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that, a lot of it was my fault. Like reflecting after the season, I realized that I got in my own way. Um, I didn't just let myself hit. I, I was too mechanical. So um, yeah, during the season, I was frustrated and confused. I didn't lose confidence because um, I still saw the ball well. I still knew that I could hit all of those guys and definitely swung too much. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, I, I was swinging a ton in high. I did the same thing in low way just because I knew I could hit everybody there. But um yeah, the confidence never wavered. It was just um, kind of started searching for things mechanically. No, makes sense. And when you do that, you end up getting kind of lost in between a bunch of different feels and a bunch of different moves. And um, it, it's hard to repeat when you're changing. So I, I can totally understand that. And you found what works. You stuck with it. And you always talk about simplifying. And that's something you've said in a ton of interviews and, and something that you can very much see in your swing as the season went on. What was the moment that you realized, like, holy shit, I'm doing this. Um, you talk about maybe help running off a big league on triple. Was it something that clicked in double? Like, again, you knew that you always had this, but when did it really click that, like, it's it's happening and I'm on my way? Uh, again, a, a couple different points during the season. Um, 
I've talked about this this one I've had a few times in a couple interviews. There was a left on left curveball or slider in in high A. I think week two or week three of the season that I stayed on and hit a double the right center and I didn't have that feeling all of last year. Um, I just hadn't. I didn't take a swing pretty much all of that year where it, it felt like my nine, my 2019 Cape Cod swing, which is the best I've ever felt. Um, and then double A. Like towards the end, before I got promoted, it was just like I, it, get, it was the same thing. Like I would show up and, and just kind of know that I was going to get a hit or get two hits or have good at bats, whatever it was. Um, and then probably AAA. I, I would say I had a two week span. I think with it was Columbus and St. Paul, where I, I think I hit six home runs in two weeks. Um, now I was chasing 30 home runs at that point. By the end of the second week, I was at like 32. Um, <laughs> I just kind of blew past it, and I, I didn't even know what happened. Um, but I was like, yeah, I, like I can hit these guys. Like, obviously, very good pitchers, a ton of guys that are going to be in the big leagues. But I held my own, and I, I felt really confident with it. My parents were there, so it was <laughs> for for some of it. So it was fun to celebrate with them and and kind of realize what was going on. And I mean, we talk about, you know, I think what kind of makes it set into is the the media scrum around. It. I remember I texted you after you had that opportunity to go to Wrigley, um, which was it was part of what, what was it like the, the the Cubs did something where you, you they invited a lot of the, the like the top prospects to come check out Wrigley. Basically, is that what that was? Yeah, it was a little bit of getting familiar with the area. We did our end of the year meetings there. Um, what else? Some media training and some media yeah. appearances so it was a like a full weekend of pretty much getting ready for the next step that was one that that was one of those moments where i was like whoa like he's there now because like, I, I texted you right after like congrats but that was weird um because it was like you the picture was a picture i saw on twitter you were standing and there was like a full scrum around you like a full circle around you and like you know you, you did a great job in the interview and they asked you some, some like some tough questions. Um, but it, it was just one of those moments where I was like, Holy crap. Like he's at Wrigley, he's in Chicago and all of those people are trying to get, you know, some words from him. Um, what was that experience like at Wrigley though? I mean, you, you get a taste of, you know, what you're hopefully going to experience very soon. Um, I, I, I almost feel like it's, it's a tease to a degree because, I know that you, you don't have to say it. I know that you felt like you could, could have been there at the end of last year. I, I felt like you could have been there at the end of last year, but obviously there's a lot of things at hand. It's a business and there's a lot of things that a lot of decisions have to be made that are out of your control. And it's not always just play well, get promoted. It, it, I wish it was that easy. Um, how much of a, of a, like of a motivator was it to, to be there? Because you're, you're getting a taste of it. You're, you're seeing guys that you're hoping to be in their shoes months from now you know not even a year months from now um but it, it still probably seemed a little far away because you're you're in the stands watching the game so like what was that dynamic like i just found the whole concept very fascinating yeah i think you nailed it it was definitely a motivator in the sense that like it was a full stadium obviously the cubs were out of contention it was the it was the last home series um but a full stadium obviously the crowd was crazy um the team played really well. And, and so the fans appreciated that, I think. And it was Hayward's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know if send off is the right term for it, but he had his, um, he got his ovations on the field. So it was unbelievable to watch 30,000 plus people give him a standing ovation and, and for what he's done for Chicago. Um, and it was kind of not disappointing because I, I had accepted at that point that my season, not season was over, but my opportunity to get called up was over. Um, so the fall league after that, but yeah, I, I wanted to be out there. And so kind of learning about Chicago and learning about Wrigley and, and the media stuff was great, but um, yeah, I'm excited to, to actually go there and play and live it and experience that. What stood out to you the most about Cubs fans? They know who we were. That yeah. We had a group of prospects sitting and people were coming up to us and saying congrats and asking for autographs and stuff like that. And, and not just in the stadium, like we would walk to the field in the morning and we would have people saying there, like, Hey Matt, can I have a picture with you? Like, how did these people know who I am? Yeah. But I mean, they're like you, I've talked to you about this the whole year. Cubs fans are, are crazy in a good way. They're dedicated. Mm-hmm. Um, they love not only the Cubs, but the Cubs system and the organization. So, um, that was fun to experience, but I was, I was a little shell shocked at first. There is no, I don't think there's a fan base more educated on, on, on what they've got. We talked about it than, than the Chicago Cubs, uh, uh, it, it is really amazing uh, how in tune so many of these fans are w- w- with the system. Wrigleyville, unbelievable place that, yeah, I think already now at this point, you could not walk through there without getting mobbed, which is crazy because I think with some other big league teams, you could probably walk around the stadium and and I don't know if anyone stops you as, as, as a current big leaguer uh, for some teams. So it just kind of shows you how passionate uh, these Chicago Cubs fans are because th- there's a lot of prospects that that they all know. And um, the system has gotten really good. And, and I want to wrap up kind of with the last couple minutes here of, of just kind of what we have to look forward to here, right? Which is the Cubs are in a very, very, I would say, I, I wouldn't say it's like a, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but it, it, it's a very transitional phase in, in where the franchise is at in a good way. They've built sustainable uh, depth, I think, through the farm system. It's vastly improved, whether it's through the development of guys like you versus just good trades that they've made and strong drafting. Um, but also at the big league level, we started to see some more talent make their way there and they're getting an idea of what they've got. And, and all reports kind of point towards them spending money in certain spots to add some some veteran talent as well. The future is extremely bright, I think, in Chicago. And, and Jed Hoyer just said that, you know, you, you're a big part of that future. What are you looking forward to most uh, with the Chicago Cubs and eventually getting that opportunity? We hope it's opening day. If not, I assume it'll be shortly after it should be opening day. And that's me saying that. Um, What are you looking forward to most uh, with the Chicago Cubs and and really being a part of what is a a team in a franchise that I think is heading in in a really good direction? Yeah, it's a historic franchise, obviously. It's it's the Chicago Cubs. When you think about baseball and the beginning of the MLB and all that stuff. You, you think about the Cubs, there's Wrigley field. There's the crazy fan base. Like we just talked about. Um, and I, I want to be a part of the next group that goes and wins the world series there. Um, you see how much love the 2016 guys get still and, and forever, obviously forever. I mean, they brought a, a world series to Chicago, which hadn't happened in over a hundred years. So they're always going to get their love, which is well-deserved. Um, but I want to be part of the next group that goes and wins. Um, 
and I've gotten close with a lot of the guys that were on that Wrigley trip at the end of the year. And, and obviously guys that I spent time with in low A last year and a lot of the same group in high A this year. So I want to make it up to Chicago with, with a lot of those guys and just keep playing with guys that I'm friends with guys that yeah. I have good relationships with and hopefully we can all win together. Who are some of the most impressive guys that you've you know, been able to play with now as you climb through the system, being on three different teams last year, um, you know, who are the guys that it could be a very high profile guy or whatever, but who are some guys that you think Cubs fans should be excited about? And um, maybe some that, you know, people aren't as aware of. One that I've talked to you about that nobody talks about is Darius Hill. I mean, he's like the best bat to ball hitter I've ever seen. It's <laughs> he gets mad at me when I hit ground balls at people because he is such good bat control that if the third baseman shifts him, he's just going to hit a ground ball down the third baseline and take a double. And if they don't shift him, he's going to hit a ground ball in the six hole. It's incredible to watch. And it's, it makes me really mad when he gets mad at me for hitting a ground ball at people, because it's obviously not on purpose. Yeah. But he's so good at, at controlling the bat that he can wow. just take his hits that way. Um, obviously, Pete Crow Armstrong is a, a dynamic athlete. I haven't played a game with him but just watching him like shag balls and in, in spring training was ridiculous to watch um canario brennan can really impact the game on both sides both really good outfielders um a lot of really good middle infielders i mean guys that i i watch when they take ground balls and try to figure out how they always get themselves to a perfect hop and like an easy play not easy in the sense that they should make it every time, but like there are guys that can position themselves to get a short hop on balls. And I'm like, how do you even get in front of that in the first yeah. place and second, get yourself a good hop. So, I mean, there's talent and not to mention pitchers. I know, I think we're going to talk about them at some point, but the guys like I haven't seen Ben Brown throw, but I've heard good things. Wicks is obviously really good. DJ hers is really good. Um, Wesneski and Killian and Assad were, triple a this year and, and each had big league time so a ton of young guys that are going to make an impact last question for you before we head over to Streamyard and do some some live ab's some of your favorite at bats from the season which i'm really excited to do and the link to that will uh it'll it'll probably be up on youtube by the time you're listening to this uh, and i'll put the link in the description if it's up on there what is a successful year for you selfishly like I want you to be selfish here because I know you're gonna say win and, and I do believe that like I know you want to win and I, you talked about it because of how much it means to Chicago and how cool that would be but I want you to be selfish for a second here for you what would a successful 2023 season be first I want to break with the team um, that's my goal I don't want to miss any time I want to be up in Chicago for opening day and start playing right away and then other than that just hit my impact is going to be hitting and picking balls at first base pretty much. I mean, that's yeah. my defensive value. So do what I can to, to help out the rest of our infielders and pitcher and catcher down there. But offensively, I, yeah, I, I want to hit, I want to hit a few home runs, driving RBIs. That's what I did this year. And that's what people are expecting of me. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't set really number goals that I want to reach, but just kind of, mentally there's a threshold that I, <laughs> I want to get to yeah no and I think you're going to get there I mean 36 home runs last year 119 RBI I don't know what your goal was before the season but I would assume that it probably wasn't that high so it's probably a good thing to not put put those uh barriers on yourself because who knows how far you can push this thing and 
you pushed it really far last year, man. It was really awesome to watch you do what you did. Really excited to see what you're going to do next year and, and you know, see you break into the big leagues and, and go from there. But again, congratulations on an awesome year. Excited to break down some of those best at-bats with you in a minute here. But thanks so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast, man. I think next time we talk, hopefully you'll you'll be in the show. Thanks a lot. I hope so. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.